Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you find and define your own answer to this question. On the 27th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Julian Foss André, who is a sculptor and a physicist, with his sculptures often engaging with scientific insights into the nature of reality. His work has received broad acclaim at international fairs and galleries and in print and broadcast media, with numerous videos of his work having gone viral with tens of millions of views. In this episode, Julian shares with us his journey into exploring the nature of reality. From doing his graduate research in the lab of physics Nobel Prize laureate Anton Zeilinger, to changing paths in his life to pursue art, where his passion for exploring the mysteries of the world have been a continual source of inspiration for his work. He also shares with us his curiosities and his investigations into spirituality, psychedelics, alien existence, and his process of repeatedly challenging his own beliefs and worldviews, embracing discomfort, and how this has led to contentment with his life. If you are presently feeling stuck or stagnating, or that life is feeling a little bit flat, this episode will give you plenty to contemplate in terms of engaging more with your curiosity and the energy that that can generate. I enjoyed this conversation immensely. Exploring the nature of reality is one of my big curiosities in life. So I took a lot from this conversation, as I'm sure you will too. And if you enjoy this conversation, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please leave a review as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 27th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. So Julian, thank you very, very much for joining me on the What is a Good Life podcast today. Uh, I discovered your work in the last few weeks, I think through some, some some viral videos of some of your more recent work. And then I've, I've, I, I was intrigued to check out some of your other work. And then I also watched some videos and you were, you shared some of your story and your perspective on life of you know, being a physicist and then moving into sculpting. And I just thought you'd be a really interesting person to interview under the, the question of what is a good life. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So as I tend to kick these conversations off, Julian, it is with the question of, is there a question that you're trying to answer as you move through life? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of questions. I mean, when I you know, when I was a little kid, I was always intrigued by, my mother would say, I would like, she saw me in the sandbox and I would like stare at the sand grains for like really long time. She was a little worried, I think. But um, that kind of trend then became like a more of searched into like wanting to figure out what is it, what are we, you know, what is this world? You know, it's the bizarrest thing. You know, we see these atoms around us and this, these molecules and we are made out of those, but we have this very strong sense of, a consciousness, a me, you know, we manipulate the matter. Like we don't even think about it, but it's, it's a miracle, but we don't, we don't even stop and think about it for a second. And uh, that was like the driving force that kind of like led me along this way to then also get really interested in science and also study physics. There's a lot more to that. I mean, of course I, I can go on if you would like to. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, please, please, yeah. please do. Okay. Yeah. So uh, first, you know, I was like, in, when I was like around, I can think 13 or 14, like when typically people get conf confirmation when they have the, the, the Christian rite of, of um, you know, the, that, that, at that age, they, they, I, I decided to, I don't want to do that. I got really upset with this whole church thing and, and spirituality is some, something is somehow a sacred thing to me. But I felt it was kind of really abused in these kind of like, church type of institutions that you know that, that tell you how stuff works and you're not supposed to figure it out yourself 
And um, so I decided to get get out of that and got all into a, this atheist, materialist, reductionist kind of mindset. I, at that age, I was like all, all into computers, and I discovered that that relatively simple mathematical formulas provide beautiful shapes. You know, I, I was like blown away when I tried to write computer games as a twelve year old. I, I made a parabola that was pretty much the only thing I knew in math, and and it was not only doing the exact right shape of the ball flying through the air, but it was also the right speed. It was it started up fast and then slowed down at the top and then went fast again just by the virtue of the mathematics. And I thought this was like symbol for how profoundly meaningful the math is that some seems to be underlying the world. And and so that got me on this trip of, well. You know, the, the usual reductionist kind of point of view, oh, our free will must be an illusion. And, and this is all like one big Swiss clock that's like wound up and we just roll along and we just like so silly in our human ways, you know, that we think we're, we have this free will and we have agency. But but I mean, that really, you know, at the same time, I knew this is kind of absurd because I had also spiritual type of experiences and I knew this was not going to cut it. And later when I got all into physics and little bit into philosophy I, I started with this friend to go into classes philosophy of science class at the University of Berlin and we discovered kind of Roger Penrose and his writings about quantum physics and that got me like so excited because I realized there's this key this door to something beyond you know you come from the most materialist reductionist worldview you do all the stuff you do in science and then you end up at this at this uh, with this glimpse of of you know, connectivity, connection, and and consciousness, stuff that goes way beyond what you started talking about. And, and I felt this was a real door that opened up. That's one of these things. And, you know, and then I pursued that, got all into quantum physics, ended up at the research group of Anton Seilinger in Vienna. I did my graduate research there. We did this fascinating experiment where we took, at that point, largest chunks of matter and showed that they too have particle wave duality they do also show wave likeness and then i can go into detail if you're interested it's a fascinating experiment where we did essentially double slit experiment with buckyballs and uh, we showed that what is measured as a single buckyball which is a molecule a big soccer shaped molecule has been going through two openings at the same time magically even though these openings are 100 times further apart than the diameter of one of those buckyballs so weird stuff like that what just out of interest, Julian, like with that experiment with the buckyball, and you know, you're talking prior to that, you'd kind of reduce things down to this is the simple facts of life, and this is how it, this is how it is, and then this kind of expansive curiosity into the work of Penrose, and then, and then when you when you start to observe that this uh, what happens with the buckyball, like there's going through two slits, like what what does that do to you when you're experiencing this or observing this, just in terms of your perception of what re- the nature of reality? Right. So, I mean, we are used in this world. We, we have a mental image of, okay, this is happening. Like I'm, I'm going, I have the ball behind the piano and I'm turning around. The ball is still there. And I look around. And yes, the ball is indeed is always there. You know, we, we never get disappointed because we're so good at predicting reality. That's why we believe so much in it. And, and here's one of those very simple examples where you cannot make one coherent single coherent image, mental image, that explains the whole thing. The mathematics does it beautifully. The mathematics doesn't make a distinction between wave and particle, you know? But if you say, I, I um, 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 enlarge it into my world, the Schrödinger cat thing, you know, I enlarge it to my macroscopic world, then there is not, then you see one aspect you can describe with this, another aspect like this, but you can't make one coherent image. 
And that's just one of those things that really pushes your face into the paradox. The, I, I love this expression, pushes your face into the paradox. Like it, it seems at the end of so many of my lines of self-inquiry, I'm left holding a paradox. And it's almost that I have to gain comfort with the fact that a paradox exists. It's, it's not only comfort, you can actually, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful gift, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're used to pain as a negative thing, but it's actually that thing that makes you grow. It's, a, you know, it's yeah. like you have to switch your mind about it. Yeah, I, I have, there's like a richness of experience to it. The, right. like, it, it, it does feel like a, it is almost like the, the feeling I get if I look at it, if I go to a gallery and I see a beautiful piece and I don't even try to understand it, but it just makes me feel something, it makes me feel something very strongly. Yeah, and you're also comfortable in the not nailing it down, not projecting it into a lower dimensional space and say, that's what it means. You know, that's the interpretation. And there's, in that way, quantum physics and art is very similar. You keep it at that proto-verbal level, you know, pre-logical, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. And, and that's why it's fascinating. And, and not when it's got flattened out into, oh, that's, it means this, you know? Yeah. But, but I think that is a, that's a beautiful way of putting it, that it's, um, it's almost at this pre-final thought space where, you know, when you, it's, it seems like we fall out of touch with reality when we try to describe reality. It, it, sometimes it makes me kind of think almost of like the particle, like it's something being a wave and a, and a particle at the same time, or, you know, it's almost as soon as you try to capture it, it ceases to be the, the reality of the experience. I think Augustinus or somebody like that said like about time, I know what it is, but when I try to say it, then I just don't know it anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. In terms of your, just in terms of what you kind what kind of conclusions you came to, you know, from this idea of thinking that the world is very deterministic um, and free will is an illusion. Could you, could you kind of explain how you moved uh, through that and, and kind of the, the, the space you're in now in terms of how you, how you perceive that, uh, that question around free will? Yeah. So, I mean, the f even like, even classical physics already opens doors a little bit. There's chaos mathematics that shows that you cannot actually deter, you cannot ever know the initial conditions perfectly well. And any infinitesimal little change in initial conditions yields a absurdly large difference in outcome uh, down the road. So even in classical physics, where everything is, is um, in principle completely deterministic, even there because of chaos theory, chaos mathematics, it's actually, for all practical purposes, pretty unpredictable or very unpredictable. Um, so that anyway is already, uh, but that only figured, people figured that only out when computers came. It's interesting. We, we yeah. have Newton has been there since whatever, in 1600. And then it took like a few hundred years to make, to have computers. And we're like, oh, wow, actually there's Mandelbrot sets, you know, stuff like that. And um, so the other thing, of course, as I mentioned, with quantum physics, where you have the real, what in physics is mainstream physics, it said it's, that's random. You know, you have a, for example, a, a, you send an atom through a, Stern Geller experiment, you see it's spin up or spin down, and it's either this or either that. You can say it's 50% chance, but you cannot, in principle, determine it's this or that. And interestingly, the most recent Nobel Prize for Zeilinger, my old boss, and some two others, is very much about that even if you assume that there is a, a theory that we just don't know yet, that knows if it's up or down, you know, that has, that there is a underlying 
determinism in this thing. Even if you, when you assume that, you run into contradiction with experiments. So you can sh see with the belts and equality and all these kind of experiments at the forefront of quantum weirdness, but that actually there is, there is nothing determined in there in principle. You know, th this is what we might call real randomness with uncaused stuff. It's not causal. You know, which is what drove Einstein crazy. He can't just that doesn't fit in his worldview. So then, when you when you move through life with even just like staring at this, you know, when you're saying when you were younger and you're just staring at the sand with just with absolute fascination, it almost it almost makes me think of that. Uh, I, I forget what the expression is, but almost like you can you can see a whole universe within a grain of <laughs> a grain of sand. Exactly. Yeah. Has that, uh, and I, obviously then with an exploration of things, even on a quantum level, like breaking things down way, way smaller than even a grain of sand, is that, has this kind of nature of reality or this curiosity of trying to, to understand the universe, has that, has that, has that, is that still a, a kind of a considerable driver for you? Oh, totally. And it didn't stop there. I mean, th there was the quantum stuff that opened the door, but you know, then when I was in my PhD, I was, I met this woman who is a neuroscientist and she's from the United States and I fell in love with her. So I moved here and I, I studied art because I always, I had meant to do art and I was, I felt always like a tourist in physics, but, but then, you know, now I'm here for the last over 20 years with four kids, we're married and all that stuff. So the, I, I changed courses because I felt I didn't really learn anything new, but then there was all these years where I did art and, now, since 2004, I've been doing this full time and, and, and I, it started shifting again when I, in 2016, got really interested in UFOs and I, I started like reading all the books I could find, you know, because I, my father-in-law, who's also, actually it's a weird story because I met her because my father-in-law gave a, t a talk in Italy at a workshop for scientists about quantum physics and parapsychology. And so I made my very first sculpture there and met my now wife at that same week, in that same week. And that same father-in-law had told me at some point that he had seen a UFO. And I was like, that's really weird. And, but then it took me years and years to kind of come to grips with it and, and say, wait, that is crazy. What is, what's up with that? And, and, and since 2016, I've been like reading like a ridiculous amount of books and try to get a grip of what can I trust, develop the intuition, you know, there's so much weirdness and craziness and also self-delusional stuff. So yeah. this whole field of, 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 of parapsychology and UFO and all that stuff, you have to really develop an intuition and, and follow your own nose and your own faith, if you will. And so that's what I was trying to do over the last years, kind of pretty much independent of my artwork. The artwork meant things, but but on the surface, I could say, oh, that's what I'm interested in. But But I was just following what I felt like doing without thinking much about it. And, and developing the craft and stuff in the studio, which is also like a big deal. You have to, you know, have people who help you because it's always teamwork. But so at the same time, almost parallel, I developed this interest in the other, the, anything that points beyond the typical current scientific paradigm. And that led in the last several years to like an exploration of um, psychedelics, journeying with ayahuasca, um, many other things that really very much opened up my mind and 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 and, and re made me rethink how I feel about my body, how I feel about the world. I mean, huge leaps, and that was really fascinating.
Well, this is, uh, I, I always say there's, um, there's almost four things that kind of make my, my toes curl or my, my, like my experience or like, or make me kind of tense and release about my experience of life. And one could be, you know, even, even books into, I don't know, the, the autobiography of a yogi by Yogananda, like just talking about different astral planes and, and stuff like this, where I just have a very visceral experience of my body. Yeah. Um, the other is a projection too, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then the other has probably been the meditation practice. Uh, the other is reading. I'm a layman when it comes to understanding quantum physics, but I, you know, whether it's Carlo Rovelli or Richard Feynman or different things like this, I'm I'm fascinated with this. And I, but, or even a quantum physicist friend of mine who talks to me about entanglement and you know the the upspin and the downspin and you know massa or cra- like crazy distances between them. And then the other thing is psychedelics as well in terms of just not an assault on my previous lens through which I viewed the world, but a deconstructing of it. And, and, a, and a bit like that thing we were talking about at the start, the feeling of um, getting comfortable or relishing, the, not even the discomfort of the paradox, all of those things bring me to that space of, um, I, I, I feel like they bring me to uh, face, or like they bring me face to face with reality and I can choose to look or I can choose to turn away. And sometimes I'll be strong enough to look and sometimes I'll want to seek more comfort. But how, how fascinating that you've, you've explored all these things and, and there's a constant, a constant curiosity. You know, you mentioned the other there in terms of UFOs, but just this, this, this approaching life from these many, these many different uh, lenses or these many different kind of methods. Yeah, it's just fascinating. I mean, it, uh, for me, I mean, if I look back at my life, whenever I, something was like, oh, that's really weird and fascinating, then, then that was like the, the, the start where I could like stick my, stick my nose in and, and open it up, you know? And it doesn't matter what it is. It's like really, I think that's important for us to find these things, these, these cracks, you know, in the rock. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful way of putting it. When you just mentioned the idea of, feeling like a tourist within uh quantum physicists and uh, quantum physics and art was the thing uh, despite the fact that you you know you worked at a, at a Ant, or that you were a part of the research at anton zeilinger's um department so you know a, a, a department that's gone on to win a nobel prize so i, I assume you were reasonably uh, effective at what you were doing shall we say uh how what, how would you describe that sense of it still feeling like you were a tourist? How, how, how would you kind of describe that experience? Um, for, I always thought this would, I, I always was struck by this experience that when I was a tourist, when I was somewhere fresh, I would enjoy every second. And when I was in my groove, I wouldn't be able to. And so I always had that desire to somehow bring the tourist sense into my everyday life, which is pretty much impossible, of course. But, but yeah. I, to every now and then think about it and, and have and, and see it you know just like what i said with a miracle you know like with, the, with that we can move this hand like this way i mean it's freaking amazing you know or, or birth or like you know an arm or just like you name it it's like if you step back and really just like switch off your boring kind of everyday kind of getting used to it it's like it's just unreal amazing and i want more of that because that's exciting yeah, my my wife is uh, pregnant with our first at the moment, and we looked at a scan, and I was blown away at the miracle and the of just of the natural uh, creativity of nature, like that. 
you know, not nobody anything will do will be more incredible than actually literally growing a human being inside of you. And it's yeah. happening without her conscious intention to grow a baby. She's not sitting right. down each day going, I must grow this baby. Right. And other and it's the same thing as well. If you put a seed, if like it's one thing to have a seed in your hand and then put it in the ground and say, This big tree outside my window, oh well, it came from the seed, nothing to see here. But that's still just mind blowing. Completely. Yeah. In terms then of how you developed into like how did you start to how did you start to unpack your kind of curiosity for art or the the expression of I know you mentioned there you did you created your first sculpture the weekend as well that you or you I'm not sure if you said you completed it but the weekend you saw your father-in-law give a talk in in Italy like how did you how did you first start to express this curiosity Well you know I I I was always my parents are into art my 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 they they it's like art is really important in our family we they do music and and they just love paintings and all that stuff. And so for me, it was always like considered a great thing, a good thing, a wonderful thing. And I, I grew up and when I was like maybe 16 or 17, I started like drawing and, and, and doing observational drawing. So very much again along like a scientist kind of take it in and trying to copy it, but noticing at the same time that something weird happened unconsciously, like the baby, you know, like I drew this picture of a friend of mine and I was completely in the zone without conscious thought. And then I stepped back, looked at this picture I'd made, and I learned something about him. So there was a coherent creativity that I was completely unaware of that did its thing. And, and, and then I did the self-portrait which where the same thing happened. And that's actually when I was 19, I decided I want to become an artist, but I didn't even know what I meant at that point. So I, I knew already, okay, I was going to be an artist. But then the physics came and and... And when I went back, I went to the U.S., I got, I, I went to art college here and I was like painting a little bit. It was boring. I just, and printmaking, which used to fascinate me. I was all into like graphic design. And then I was like, that's really boring. I had like lost my ambition for this and my interest. At the same time, you know, the cultural divide between Germany and Vienna or Austria physics versus West Coast art college with kids who are 20, 10 years younger than me. It was crazy. They had such a different way of talking. I, I was like, you know, it, it was a bit of a culture shock, you know, and it was really drove me crazy. They would talk about energy and mass and volume, things like that. And I was like, wait, that means something very, very different, you know. So, but but it, it took me a year, if a while, to 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 kind of come to grips with that. Um, so, but then when I made this the sculpture, I just carved like this African style self portrait, which oddly enough. I discovered like a week later when I, at the end of this, of this conference, I remembered that a month before I had this crazy dream where this sculpture occurred and I, and, and I felt it was meaningful and I just couldn't really pinpoint it. But that set me on the idea of I could do a sculpture, which had never interested me at all. And then when I went to art college, I, the, one of the first assignments was to take a piece of square lumber, you know, lumber with a cross section of a square. And, and do mitered cuts, like a picture frame, you do 45 degree cut, you flip it over and you have a 90 degree angle. You can do the same thing in 3D and you have compound mitered cuts and then turn a one dimensional thing into a three dimensional thing because it has extents in all three dimensions. And then I, I, I realized that's exactly what nature does. It goes from one dimensional DNA to three dimensional bodies by assembling chains of amino acids, you know, that fold into space in 3D configurations. 
And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. So I, I, I set out to write this program that turns protein structure data into cutting instructions. So I can make a mitered cut sculpture that visits all the points of the, car, of the peptide chains of the amino acids in space. And that's how I got started with sculpture, really. Because I, I, I wanted to make these, 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 these protein sculptures. You, you just said something that I, I wanted to, if I wanted to make sure I heard it correctly, you said when uh, painting a picture of your, or drawing a picture of your friend, yeah. uh, you, you felt like you learned something different. Did I hear that correctly? That you learned something different or you found out something new about your friend? Yeah, about my friend. And because, because of that, about myself too, that there was something yeah, in yeah, yeah. Or whatever, that, that I, I became a tool to something that then opened, uh, like showed me something that was new and unexpected. Yes, I learned something about about him, you know. And and how do you, how like because then you know even the idea then that you you finished a sculpture and then you realize that you had a dream about this. How, how do you kind of? I I love this idea almost that ideas already exist and we almost create something a space within ourselves for ideas to right. to to be manifested or something. Like. How do you kind of interpret that process of? of some like you being a tool for something and then the, the 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 different kind of observation or understanding you get of something that i'm sure you've looked at many times before i.e in the case of a friend i i don't really know you know i mean but it's i mean the, the thought the ideas is old you know people in medieval crafts people they wouldn't talk think of themselves as the originator of this carving in the church they thought of themselves as tools for god i think mostly and i and when you meditate you t- try to get that egoic chatter thing away and become something that flows within something bigger. You know, you are a manifestation of that. And I think that's a very related idea. You know, I think it's very important for us that we understand, I think, that we can tap into that by, by letting go and, and allowing it, you know, to evolve and to, to do its thing in general. And then when you make the, when you have this realization about, you know uh, what the like what you're trying to create almost with these sculptures, and then the the correlation between that and what nature is doing as well, and taking these uh, almost DNA into then into into three D um, constructs as well. What was that? What was that almost discovery like for you, or you know, in your own process? Was that was it a moment where it just like it hit you like a lightning bolt, or or, or how did you? Yeah, for yeah. me it was a beautiful thing and, and really cool, and I was super excited about this. And then I mentioned the culture shock. I mean, in the beginning, then I presented this to my fellow students and teachers, and they thought it was the dumbest and unartsy thing ever. You know, they they were oh, those are scientific models. That's basically how they perceived it, and science being something that they really don't like at all. That's that was the general kind of gist of the of the response. And I was so disappointed and, and, and it made me really think, how can I e- explain to myself and others why I feel about this as an art thing? And it was really not easy at all. It took me like many essays and kind of figuring it out. And I was getting very defensive about it too. That must have been a, that must have been pretty trying or pretty difficult to, a huge, like considering that it turned out to be a big part of your path as well. So, you, you know, you end up, proving uh how valid it was or you know that the initial yeah. rush was pretty intuitive as to what was to come maybe but how was that experience then of like to be met with resistance or or you know not even an enthusiasm for what you just created 
I mean, thankfully, I was already like 29 or 30 at that point, and I was not 20 anymore. And I was like, right. I didn't really care all that much. You know, I knew it was valid because I was passionate about it. I had done the physics. I felt I can pull stuff off. And at the same time, I had met this woman. I was super in love, and we started a family. We had two babies at that time. During that time, two little babies, and within like a very short space of time. And that took all my attention. You know, babies are like doing that to you. And so, so I didn't get, really care all that much. It was like emotionally right. not happening. Yeah. And I I noticed I watched. Uh, I watched a, a video of yours where you kind of, you just explain, oh yeah, I thought I gave myself four years to do this. And if I could make money from it, it, it just seems so matter of fact. Um, and that you, you gave yourself this time to do it. Did, was there a huge amount of energy behind this or, like, or how, do, how did you find the process of, okay, I'm going to give myself this time frame and, and this, if I, I need to do it by then? Well, first of all, I should say that thanks to my upbringing and my background and my I don't know, genetics or who I am. I was never really scared. I feel really lucky that I was never really scared that I, oh God, if it doesn't work out. And I also had this this idea. I was to totally into burritos at the time. I, I didn't know burritos in Germany. And I was like, and I had this idea of starting a chain of burritos. I, I'm sure I could have totally pulled it off. So I was like, yeah. if this doesn't work out, I'm going to do burritos. And I thought this was going to be amazing. And so I, I didn't really, <laughs> oddly enough, I didn't care all that much. And, and, and I was like putting insane amounts of energy. I mean, I'm at that age, I was not, I didn't stop at eight hours. I would just like go on and on and on, you know, and I would just like keep working. And now that I don't have this energy anymore. I just can't do that anymore. But at that age, I did this and, and I was still, I felt still young, you know, I was not like, now it's a different, a diff different feel. But at that age, you just like, I pushed everything in it and without even thinking about much. I love I love this idea either uh, sculpting or or burritos. <laughs> in in terms of you you said uh, you said earlier just about your experience with spirituality growing up and and almost your resistance to uh, a sense of this is somebody telling you just almost to me it, like I'm, I'm probably projecting my own experience here but it, so if, if this feels off just correct me but almost a sense that you didn't like somebody telling you what your experience of spirituality was or that this was a template that you needed to follow absolutely yeah that, that whole idea of the christian church after like 300 AD or so where that became oh we are the arbitrators we were between god and you that whole idea was like didn't sit well so how how did you then kind of um did you maintain that curiosity or did did uh did did you shut off from it and then come back to it in life through your meditation or, or different explorations or, or how would you kind of uh how would you kind of describe your journey with that i i i at, at that age when i was i think maybe 70 years old, I, I went to a wall i had a really horrible kind of like um career in school so i, I got kicked out of schools and i ended up in the in a wall of school no it didn't end up they kicked me out too that but i ended up in, well, <laughs> in a wall of school which is a, a, a rudolf steiner school so they have a lot of spiritual underpinning that really rubbed me the wrong way because they were tell the, the rudolf steiner was like a very very interesting guy who had like lots of insights but they were like presented you know there's there was talk about the ethereal, ethereal body and the the astral body and and they had all figured out in their minds and somehow i didn't 
I, I felt this is any you can tell me anything. So I, I didn't buy into that. But at the same time, I had I had a pretty profound, I would say, spiritual or whatever you want to call it, experience. I was like at one point at the very young age, standing at the river in, in Hamburg, and I had this just incredible sense, you know, when that I, I can't explain it, but it was like I was like. I felt, you know, the presence of, of something much, much bigger than me. And, and, and also classical music has this thing. It, 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 it strikes a chord inside you that's, that has to do with uh, those deeper spiritual things. And so I, I never really lost that. I always felt there is something without even talking about it in my own mind or having logical thoughts about it. But, but I never felt alone, you know, like there was always something. Well, that's, uh, I, I think if there's moments in life, if we attune ourselves or if we pay enough attention or if, even if we empty ourselves enough, that there's these kind of moments in life that just make us feel very comfortable with the unfolding of life. Like, and, and, I, and I think they don't have to, we, we don't have to have this kind of classical idea of like an enlightened person who walks around perpetually in a higher state of consciousness or awareness. I think we just need a few of these moments in life that that give us enough peace or or, or comfort that there is something out here, or that I, I don't have to take I don't have to take the human experience of life so personally. Like I, I, there's right. something peace, there's something supportive here. Yeah, at least in hindsight, now that I'm older and I've you know I've, I've, I'm, I'm more conscious about this this type of search. You know, now I see it as oh, that was an instance where I felt that way. But even at that time, I wouldn't have said it that way at all. Yeah. In in, ter in terms then of you know you've mentioned uh, recent or in the last few years again picking up this thread like the uh, kind of a transformation within you of exploration even with. Um, you know, you're saying health and, and, and well-being and, and your spiritual practices and even psychedelics. Can you can you kind of describe what what kind of led you in in into this direction as well? Because so from what I understand, you go into the art uh, art world, you have this huge amount of energy. You have a good degree of success in this um, in, in terms of this is where you make your living from. This is your commission to do these big pieces. Uh, you have this woman uh, that you've spoke so fondly of in your life already and, and who offers you a lot of support and a, a family. So what was the what was the kind of and then you've got these big curiosities, whether it's through your expression in art and then prior to that in in physics. Um, what was the the impetus to to explore, to keep this exploration going and kind of what what re, what was what came in you again in this exploration in the last uh, in the last number of years? So, I mean, the UFO books started that thing that I, I, I turned from coming from a skeptical mindset where I need to have proof. I, I, I transitioned to a, a totally open-minded mindset and, and understanding that what we call faith is a really important thing, I think, in our growth process. It's, that would have, I would have, it would have been so cringy if I had like told myself this. 20 years ago, I would have, oh, that's so lame and so stupid, faith, what, what are you even saying? But now I see it very differently. You know, for me, there is some things, and I was talking about the intuition and developing the intuition and in, in seeing through the BS and, and, and seeing who you can trust. That's the, what I mean. It's like you, and the world has this weird quality of that sometimes you, you just, you have to suspend your disbelief and you have to do a leap of faith. And it's, it's, it's really important, I think. 
Um, gosh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so so I, I opened my, my mind in that sense that I was like, no, I'm actually I find something interesting. I come something across something. I find it on eBay, the book for as cheap as I can. I just get it, and I don't even care. It's like five bucks, and I just buy all these books. I have like stacks of books, and I read them. And if I don't like them, phew, I don't I don't read them. And I've came across things like Dolores Cannon. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with her work. She's a, a, medit- a, a, a hypnotherapist who started that late in life found out that she could regress people to past lives and then developed over her course of her life. Like she wrote, I think 17 books and it becomes this complex, complex Byzantine, more and more complicated. The last five books, I think are called the convoluted universe. You know, it's, there's so much fascinating information in there. And so I, I, I'm opening myself to this type of information and just like, keep going and, 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 and read about astral projection and try it out myself. I'm not saying that I'm any way successful, but, you know, I'm, well, I start meditation thanks to my father-in-law again, he, he, who does this. And I was like, so how do you do that? I have no idea. And so I'm, I'm doing it every morning just for, you know, 10, 20 minutes. And it's, and even if I don't know what is the benefit is, and I'm not interested in the research paper that says your heart rate goes down by 2.3, you know, beats per second, when you meditate regularly, that's not where I come from. It's just like, I trust there is something in there and people have done it before and, and I just do it. So, and then the, the, the one of the big triggers for me, the pandemic came and I re- watched the really beautiful 20 minute Graham Hancock talk where he talks about ayahuasca and his general frustration with the state of our world and his you know, painfully felt desire that we need to transcend and all that stuff. And it's beautiful talk. It's very short. And it's, it's, I can highly recommend it. If you Google Bend TED Talk Graham Hancock, I think you can find it. Um, and, and I was like, what the hell is this? And I should say, I've never done anything that classifies as psychedelics. I, you know, I drank a lot of alcohol in my youth to my detriment and, and I smoked pot every now and then, which I never liked, but I never tried any of these other weird drugs like you know for me cocaine and lsd was like one thing i have no idea it's super illegal i wouldn't try touch it i might get crazy or addicted so i had no idea what i was in because of the drug of uh, war on drugs of course i was brainwashed i was born in the 70s and and now i just realized there are some ancient sacred medicines and we've been like dismissing them and and poo-pooing them it's insane what we've been doing and so finally thank god it's 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 on the on the turning back now there's so much to this idea of like i i love the idea that at some point in our lives that we would have listened to ourselves speak now and kind of just roll our eyes or go where did it all go so wrong almost that's like and because i i would have had a similar experience in like as a as an irish person like alcohol was definitely my 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 poison of choice and everything like psychedelics would have been this like you will lose your mind that that's crazy but it's okay to to get really drunk um yeah yeah exactly and but the 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 um the really interesting thing then though is like if i love the sentiments that you the sentiment that you had uh of like suspending your disbelief and because I think in that state, we kind of, we open ourselves up to just, we open ourselves up to the reality that we we don't know so much. Like, you know, we live in a universe where it's 95% dark energy, dark matter. So therefore, what can I you say? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's important to acknowledge that. A- a- absolutely. Because 
you can still be incredibly curious and and consume lots of information and build your own models and everything like that. But just underpinning that is still a humility that makes, I think, makes me want to seek out more information as opposed to hold on to the information that I have and say that's absolute. But going then from your your father-in-law then sounds like quite an influential role in uh or or has an influential role in in opening you up then to to new explorations just really curious um just because you've mentioned it a couple of times even just your interpretation of of alien life then or ufos like what can you even chart that a little bit because it, it it's something that it's not my experience right but i've met people of high integrity that they say it is their experience. So yeah. it's something that I'm very like open to, but it's nothing, but it's not my chief curiosity, if, if you understand. But it's not also not my conscious experience. So I, you know, I, yeah. I come, I, I just, you know, read a lot about it and, and I, I develop this web of belief because I, you know, I, I, I cross-reference and I'm very, I'm very critical. I, I, I you know, I, I want to really go know what's going on. And I, I, I also subscribe to Whitley Strieber, for example, to his podcast. He's a famous experience of, of what's called alien abduction. I mean, that, that whole phenomenon is, is, it'd be foolish to dismiss this, even though it's, it's still very fringe at this point. But I mean, John Mack did some really, really interesting research in the nineties. Uh, he was a Harvard professor, then got into serious trouble because of that. I mean, there's there's a lot. It's not you cannot dismiss it. It's if you just it's open yourself up a little bit, do a little research. It's it's fascinating stuff. And um, so, as I said, I've not experienced it myself, at least in a conscious way. And who knows what 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 do I know? But um, but I feel just like quantum mechanics. If you you read popular science books and you read, oh, that's what people you believe tell you, and that is such a weird thing. I, the same is true for me with the with the with the with the weird stuff with the you know UFO and abduction and, and many other paranormal stuff. You know, I, I I have to take this seriously and I have to incorporate that into my worldview. You know, I have to be have a worldview that allows for those things because I think it'd be foolish not to. Your your process almost seems to be like to. <laughs> It seems to be that you open yourself up to things that will be like an, an assault on your sense of reality. Um, you seem to invite invite them in. Do you? Like, how would you describe your process? And even in, in inviting these news, like, is that like a a destab? Does it have a destabilizing effect on your life? As and then you. Yeah. Just, I, I just am super acutely aware of, of denial and, and self bullshitting type of stuff. So I don't like it when I when I feel comfortable in the sense, oh, I'm standing on a concrete floor matter, like f- philosophy wise. You know, my worldview is solid. That just worries me. That scares me. I don't trust it at all because I don't believe in that. You know, and, and I think we do this because we have this desire for security, but it will, it will always screw us up because we. we we set ourselves up for for like problems doing that because it will get shaky and then we will suffer the more we believed in this concrete floor the more hard it will be on us yeah i i think that that, that to me kind of says the world is constantly in ch- is changing it's constantly in flux and when we have a fixed view on what what it is that will that will become out of date very quickly yeah and and, and, I, and i think when we're calling when we're labeling something as reality but yet reality is constantly shifting 
uh, it's it's a recipe for I don't know there's something like you know there's something even in a in a western world sense our, our rush for security and certainty and in the whole context of mental health and things like this I don't think we're giving enough credit to just the damage that comfort and seeking comfort uh, and predictability is doing yeah and, and it's fascinating when you look into research of like cold voluntary cold exposure, any of these things that become more and more modern now, everything boils down to or fast food, you know, fast food, how detrimental it is, how processed food, you know, staying cozy and warm and comfy the whole your whole life is basically killing you. And that's that, wherever you look, that's what boils down to. And discomfort, like eating crunchy veggies, you know, that are hard to make. You have to go to the market and buy them. You have to chop a lot of them. You know, it's so much harder than getting that Big Mac, but that's the stuff that makes you healthy and that enriches your life at the end of the day. I, I'm sometimes I'm looking back and we, we look we think about the history and we have this amazing easy life now and we think about even 200 years ago it was rough. You know, most people have lost their siblings or one of them or two. People died early. Their diseases. You know, you you are forced to be humble and 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 be on your toes. And and we think, oh man, these poor schmucks back then. You know, they had it rough. I think they had it in one, in some sense, and I think it's a, it's a tricky thing to say that, but in some ways they had it much better than us. And it's, you see it with the social media, like our kids on these stupid phones the whole time. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a curse. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious as to almost what will shake us out of that uh, attachment um, in, in terms of that this is what's desirable. Because I think in, in the course of so many of these interviews as well, the key thing that I keep on seeing, it's, it's, it's almost the adverse circumstance is what extracted something from somebody. Like, even if it was the pressure of children or, or you know, whatever it is, like it was in a moment where it was in a moment, not only where ad adversity showed someone what they were capable of, so it seems to me like these comfortable situations, as you say, I, I agree. I do think it's killing something inside of us. And the things that we're trying to avoid will actually be the things that help us transcend or evolve our, our current state of discomfort. Yeah. In terms of the your journey then, like with where your curiosity is, is taking you, um, you know, from you know, starting off even with a, a big curiosity to to exploring that even in quantum physics to then going, okay, no, art is the thing, then all these different interests. Like, how do you, is is there, are there other things um, coming up at this point in life that you think could even pull you from sculpting or or how do you kind of see your, your life playing out? I, you know, it's a good question. I don't really know. It's like, I, I, I've been thinking about, is this what I still want to do? But I, I feel so blessed. I go in the morning to my shop and I really like to be there. You know, I have these like two computers and I just, I'm just multi. I have this amazing workflow where I do like 10 things at the same time and jumping back and forth. And it's super refreshing for me. You know, it's 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 and then I have, you know, my team of people and they're like really good crafts people. And I hear the like the noise of the metal fabrication all the time. And I just like run in and out and, and check on everything and see if we can tweak the process and I really like my life, you know, it's really fun. So I don't want to change that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, I'm almost like sitting back and looking at 
will this interest and the weird stuff, you know, somehow more clearly connect with the art? And, and it's so connected anyway, but it's like, but, but somehow it's like, it's still two different strands. I, I, I just don't know. I'm, you know, I just let it, let it happen. You know, I'm, I, I'm doing as long as there's, you know, the, the, I mean, we had the, just like the last week, we had this crazy viral view, this, this astronaut that we made. It was, it has over 80 million views now. And I'd never expected that. It just happened. And I'm just like, surfing this wave as long as it's you know doing it and I, i'm enjoying it um and i have also the ability now i can just do my eight hours i don't work much after four i'm just like going home and i'm reading my books you know and have be with my family and that's just what, really, really life what was the inspiration behind the astronaut well i mean the the inspiration for these sliced pieces came actually from anton seilinger when i talked with him at a long time ago, I think in 1999, we had these weekly breakfasts with the whole group. And he made it this joke. He said, like, he was basically poking fun at the anthropocentric worldviews in physics at that time, where he said, like, oh, it can't possibly be a coincidence that a walking person with a weight of about 100 kilograms and a speed of this many meters per second has a wavelength, a de Broglie wavelength, that you can, from a weight, a mass, and a speed, you can calculate a matter wavelength. And, and that happens to be pretty much the, the famous Planck length for a human being walking. The Planck length is this famous shortest distance in physics from people believe that everything, if it's smaller than that, everything breaks apart, what we know about physics. And so it's like really short. It's like minus 10 to the minus, 10 to the minus 34 meters. So it's like minuscule. And, and so he said, that can't possibly be a coincidence that this is exactly the Planck, Planck wavelength. The wavelength is the Planck length. And so I was like, that made me actually think about what it would be like to be the quantum object that goes through the double slit experiment. And, and right. when you do the math, if you have anything moving this way, then the math of quantum physics says it consists out of wave fronts that go perpendicular to the direction of motion. And so when I had came out of art college a, a year or two later, that was one of the things I set out to do is to make this big walking man, two meter, like eight feet tall, two meter 50 tall, like a stylized walking man out of, out of wave fronts. And only after I'd done it, I was like walking around him and saw that he disappeared because they were all parallel and then looked solid from the other angles. And that's got me started on this whole slice thing. And so the astronaut is just the latest iteration after many years where a client asked me if I could do an astronaut. I said, absolutely no way, because I thought, this, why would I do that? You know, I don't do logos and cars and stuff like that. And I, I, I'm very careful about n not becoming this like boring thing. And astronaut was not appealing to me, but then I talked with him and he's a guy who came originally from Russia, came to the US and he had this deep fascination for astronauts. And I thought that's really cool. It's, it's fascinating because you, you bring your own life support, your own world, you bring it to a different planet. You know, you have your whole thing is your suit and, and I, I got really intrigued. So I, I designed this thing and then we built it. It was like a, a, a tricky one because I've never done anything with mirror polished steel, all cold connected. There's 6,000 screws in there. So it's a, it's a pretty ambitious project. But um, now I'm, I've gotten so good at it. So I could pull it off and, and, and then we built it and it looked really cool. And then this thing went viral. viral. That's how that came about. I, I don't know. It's almost, it is almost kind of interesting though. Even we've, we've talked about a, uh, uh, UFO or a fascination with extraterrestrial and there's a, an astronaut too like almost a, almost the explorer in yourself or something I know it yeah. wasn't yeah. someone I mean, came to you 
Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. You know, and you're just saying that these two fascinations are going in parallel, or they're not intertwining, but they're in parallel. But it, it, it yeah. I don't know, it seems like, the, it almost seems like a, a symbol of something. It, totally. It's, also, it's also that the, the sliceness is like the Cartesian coordinate system. It's almost like a symbol for classic physics. You take an organic shape and you impose that rigid grid, you know. It's, it's, it has a lot of, like, interesting things about it. Julian, just in... In the course of this conversation, uh, look, it's it's so clear the you know from looking looking at the sand and your mother wondering what almost what could be wrong with my boy <laughs> with this fascination of uh, of just staring at the sand and this kind of curiosity and this it seems like a continuous kind of you know desire to to understand from your perspective, not just take typical views and and just absorb absorb information if there's a curiosity to really inspect the nature of reality from your own perspective like whether that's through quantum physics your art your investigation into spirituality um into even just no noticing moment things like really noticing like new new experiences they happen even painting your friend and realizing wow i just found out something about my friend i found out something about myself and this like that this this idea almost that understanding isn't a fixed place to stand on it's a it's a constant inv investigation as you move through life and then this i don't know this piece that by having some of these bigger perspectives the almost the confidence that which you can move through life then that things are going to be okay like if i if my art career works wonderful if i have to if i set up a, a burrito shop that that's also fine as well and and then this constant deconstruct or challenging of your own sense of 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 reality or or being open to other perceptions as well in in life and and following that curiosity and maybe not knowing where it leads but feeling feeling comfortably uncomfortable in, in, in playing with that as well seems to be such a big part of, of your process as well. Just as I tend to have the, the question at the end of these conversations, um, what, what is a good life for you, Julian? Yeah, I mean, when you just summarized this whole thing, I, I felt we haven't talked about one really important thing. That is, you, you know, we are here only a certain time. We die. And I think that's something that's just like, that informs everything else. I think the ancient Greeks, for them, it was very much about getting ready to be transitioning away. And somehow this is kind of our, our task for a good life, I think, to, to, to get, to come to grips with that and, and, and get ready for that transition. And I think very much related to this talk about classical versus quantum and spiritual versus you know, the reductionist kind of worldview is, is that idea that when we, we, we are more than just this body, when we die and this body goes back into earth and, you know, the atoms become other things, then there is something that is our consciousness that, that stays. I think if you don't have that confidence and that, that sense, it's going to be really rough, you know, to do a good life. So I think that's a critical ingredient. I mean, good life for me is really... Is, is love, family, you know, being able to stay tourists, stay loving, not being pissed off and, and grumpy, you know, and try, trying to evolve, you know, go to grow towards the light, just like a plant. That's, that's, I think the, the good life. Yeah. I, I loved, uh, there's a, I get a sentiment from the way you're even talking, just even of the, the presence of your wife in your life too. And the, 
like I think from my own personal experience, if you can have someone that you experience love with and that is uh, supportive of of us as well, like there's there's something magical that can happen in 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 our lives as a as a result of that. And and I love this idea of even it's a gift, such a gift, and it's so important not to squander it. You know, just like life. Yeah. yeah. Very, very true. And I, I love this sentiment or this image about the, the light or the plant growing to the light. Like it's almost like this, based on what we've kind of said, like it's almost getting out of our own way to naturally exactly. evolve and, exactly. and to trust the way we can evolve yeah. if, if we so do get simple. out of our way. Yeah, we make it so complicated. But it's actually at the end of the day, it's so simple. You know, and I, I believe that. I just, it's so hard to understand the simplicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Look, Julian, th- thank you so much for for your time. Uh, thank you so much for what you've shared here. I found your your experience to be very inspiring. The curiosity at which you approach life, the energy that I, I feel from you, the way you're approaching life as well. Uh, I've I've really I'm really grateful for you joining us here on the on the What Is a Good Life podcast, and I look forward to following your work in future as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. It was, those were beautiful questions. Thank you for that. Cheers. Thank you.